You're listening to a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. In this episode, my guest is Tanner Campbell, host of the Practical Stoicism podcast. In the conversation, we discuss Tanner's journey into Stoicism and the adventures of starting a podcast. However, much of the conversation focuses on the ancient concept known as oikiosis. We talk about understanding one's role in the world through the circles of concern, the importance of caring for oneself and others, as well as the need for humility and the recognition of interconnectedness. If you're looking for a podcast about Stoicism, I highly recommend you check out Tanner's podcast. Again, it's Practical Stoicism. All right, without any further delay, I now bring you the wise and gracious Tanner Campbell. Um, Well, Tanner, welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Thank you. I'm here to search for wisdom with you. Please help. (laughs) I love it. I'm excited to do it. And today we're discussing stoicism, but more specifically the term oikiosis. Hmm. But before we get into that, I was wondering if you'd mind sharing how you initially found your way to starting practical stoicism. Ooh, that goes back a few years uh, in indirectly. I used to host a podcast called The No Godcast. It was all about uh, theology and faith or the lack thereof. Uh, and it was a long-form style podcast before long-form podcasts were really the the popular thing that they are now. Mm. And I realized that there was something about my character that just enjoyed conversations that waxed philosophical. Right? That, that was cool to me for, for whatever reason. And that podcast wound up retiring for one reason or another, and I found myself creating a podcast called Epictetus is My Therapist, which I think I did maybe <laughs> 20 to 30 episodes on, and I just kind of used what I thought at the time uh, was stoic was a stoic understanding of the Enchiridion to kind of apply to some of my own personal hangups and things I was dealing with. This is some time ago. This is like t- 2011, 2012, 13, maybe. And fast forward a bit, and I'm no longer podcasting in Stoicism. I'm no longer podcasting in theology. I've since then podcasted in mythology and folklore, which is so far <laughs> removed from those other two things. It always gives me a giggle to think about it. And I was working in um, IT and had recently broken away from IT to start my own recording studio in uh, in the northeast of the U.S. And then COVID happened, and I lost that business, as I think a lot of people experience something similar. And I found myself about a year later uh, in Denver, Colorado, running a small home-based post-production studio and feeling like I was really lost and frustrated. <laughs> and for some reason, I thought about stoicism, which had always been on the peripheral, I guess, of my radar uh, over those years since Epictetus is my therapist. But I had never really delved seriously into it until I read a book a few years before this um, called uh, the, oh gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up the name of it. And I'm going to forget the author, but I'm going to tell it to you later <laughs> so that you can put it in the show notes. I feel so. Uh, Sharon LaBelle is the author. And 
the it was an interpretation nice. of hers of, of the of Epictetus's handbook, his Enchiridion. And that was a few years before I found myself in Colorado, but that had put Stoicism back on my radar a bit more than it had been the years prior. And, you know, this is a long way of me saying, I thought that what I would do to kind of get my life back in order was to make Stoicism a more regular part of my week, which I decided to do because of my background in audio and podcasting by creating a every weekend podcast where I'd read one of Marcus Aurelius's meditations. And then I would do my best to take it apart in a practical way that was, you know, I think I presented it as maybe I'm going to help you to work through these things in your on your own. But really, it was about me <laughs> trying to help <laughs> myself find my own way. I think there's this old saying that goes something like we we tend to teach the version of ourselves that we were like a year ago. I tend to teach the version of myself that I was three days ago. That's how I feel lately. Um, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's the long story for what should have been a much shorter answer. <clears throat> no, I, I, I love it. And if we could, I um, wouldn't mind staying here for, for a bit. I, I think it's uh, fascinating when it, when it comes to creating a project or making some of these decisions in life. So the the No God podcast, um, mm-hmm. how did you decide to, you know, get into something like that? And how do you maybe think about that today when you're discerning, you know, a new project, continuing a project or, you know, any sort of fork in the road? Do you mean that project in particular or projects in general? Um, well, that one in particular... But then also, if if you could talk a little bit about it, if it connects, you know, to today, are there some similarities of how you think about, you know, deciding this way or or that way? Uh, it's hard for me to think about why I started that podcast. I think that, well, I can go back to 2010, which was some years prior, and podcasting had been around for a few years. I think the first podcast is technically recorded as being from 2005. But if I go way back to my childhood, my sister and I in the late 80s would sit on my grandmother's bed with a little preschool recorder thing. You remember the crappy little plastic microphone with a phone cord connection and you can record yourself? (laughs) And we would record what were, I mean, what were essentially reviews of the latest episode of a cartoon called Pound Puppies. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if you remember that. Probably dating myself a bit. Um, and then we would take it down to my grandmother and she would listen to this and, you know, bless her. She, she would pretend like it was fun or entertaining or something. And so while it wasn't called podcasting then, I think I had a, I had a predilection for hearing my own voice, perhaps, or feeling like I was the center <laughs> of attention is definitely somewhat still true today. And, I think in 2010, 2011, when podcasting came on my radar as a medium, I remember thinking, I'm not a creative person. I'm in IT, uh, and I know web design and web development in the form that those things existed back then. And podcasting was at the time something you needed to know how to create your own XML document or create an RSS feed. You had to have some technical aptitude in order to do this thing that was essentially just speaking, which I love to do, right? I love to hear my own voice. And I had ideas and thoughts. And so it seemed like podcasting might be, it might be a way for me to be creative. And so I started a podcast with my then partner uh, that is not available anymore, of course. And 
enjoyed it and then just kept kind of reinventing shows or inventing shows and running with it and see where, where it would go. And I've been podcasting, I think, every year since since then in some iteration, either a new show or whatever. And the atheism show in particular, the No God cast, I cannot recall why I felt like I wanted to start that, but it was something to do with there was a lot of discourse around atheism and theology, and all of the discourse seemed to be, you're stupid, no, you're stupid, I'm going to be mean to you because you don't believe the thing I believe, or I'm going to be mean to you because you believe a thing I think is silly. And I remember that being, feeling deeply, very not the way those conversations should be had. Uh, and I think, I think, I could be backfilling a bit, right? Maybe I'm painting myself as a much better person than I really am. But uh, and as I reflect on it, I, I think that that is the reason that I started the show. And that mm. show was the first show that had real success. At that time, to have a podcast that had 10,000 downloads a month was, I mean, it was not difficult to do, but it was not common. Uh, and so it seemed like after years of creating podcasts and then, you know, them being kind of flops and just hobbies, that this was, this was a success. And so maybe I could do this seriously. And so from there, I created a company called uh, Secular Programming. And I created a magazine called Secularite and published those things and ran a 24-hour streaming network, again, called Secular FM uh, for like two years and just ran atheist and theological and, uh, let's say, non-theological content that was meant to serve the free thinking community, but more towards atheists uh, and agnostics. And then that all kind of fell apart because I was not, I was not in my personal journey prepared to be <laughs> a person who was good enough with people, to be quite frank, uh, to, to be a boss. And I think that all of that fell under the weight of my, my own ambitions uh, and my inability to be flexible which was definitely true then and to some extent is still still true today we're growing forever you know it's a constant search for wisdom yeah. <laughs> and constant disappointment <laughs> on that search it seems like <laughs> no i love it i appreciate you you sharing tanner um you know if there's anyone listening that is contemplating maybe it's starting a podcast or some other you know creative uh pursuit that feels meaningful um how do you think about, you know, that decision process that, you know, should I embark on this particular project or not? Anything come to mind? Well, I think that imposter syndrome comes to mind. That's something your listeners perhaps have heard someone say before, probably many people say before, this idea that there's already so much noise out there. Why would me making more noise be important? Uh, and I think that the answer to that is in part, well, you know, there's a probably 10,000 channels on makeup tutorials aimed at women, right? And there's probably 10,000 IT tech review things aimed at men, right? But that doesn't stop <laughs> you as a subscriber to those things from listening to, you know, a hundred of those channels. So I think there's this idea that the, the, the world is, oversaturated with noise and that for that reason, any noise you would make would be unsuccessful. And I think that's a silly idea. I don't think you should think that way. Uh, 
And what I was trying to point out there was that even though there are maybe 10 channels that talk about stoicism, you don't listen to one of them. You listen to 10 of them. You listen to multiple sources to get the same information. So the idea that people don't want to hear your voice just because similar voices already exist, that's something you shouldn't be concerned with. Also, the idea that, well, the idea that you are in some ways robbing people who might benefit from the things you have to say by not including your voice when you feel you have something to say. A lot of people listen to my podcast. I, I get about 300 or so thousand downloads a month across more than 170 countries on a monthly basis. And what really is cool about that is, well, of course, you know, there's a monetary value to that and I'm making a living value to that, which I'm not going to pretend doesn't exist. But I get emails on a regular basis about this and this episode really helped me to see this. And I was fighting with my mom or I've been arguing with my brother or I've been, you know, thinking of suicide. And your podcast has helped me to think differently about that or has changed my whole life which I feel is a little bit hubristic sometimes when I when I hear that, but that's some self-doubt of my own, that how could anything I've said be that useful to someone? But if I had never created the podcast, I don't want to make it sound I don't want to make it sound as though some random person in some random country would have killed themselves had I not. But you don't really know if that could have been the case. It could have been the case. And it's not that you would have been responsible for that happening, but it's worth thinking that you could have an impact for maybe if it's just 12 people in some really big way. You don't have that impact if you don't take the risk. So I think we have a tendency to internalize risk, like the risk is all about what might happen to us. And that's reasonable. We have to think about ourselves and, and the risk we take. But And as humans, I think it's natural to do that. But I think that we don't frequently enough think about the risk we take on others' behalf by being quiet we're silent, we're not participating. And I think we, we could think more about that. I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but I hope that it does something for you. Yeah, no, I think it does. And I, I think it's um, a helpful thing to, to think about, you know, and I think it's something that um, so many of us deal with. Maybe it's not a podcast, maybe it's, you know, a, a number of, of different things as, um, you know, just living creative lives and, and thinking about those things. And I think a lot of what you had to say applies across many different things. And um, it happens to be also a, a nice transition to the, to the topic that we're going to discuss today. Um, for the listeners, you've, you've recently done a, a few episodes that I listened to um, on oikiosis. I may mispronounce that multiple times um, today. Um, but I think it's a really interesting, important idea that isn't always uh, discussed and talked about when it, when it comes to Stoicism. So to start us off, could you maybe talk a little bit about how you define, how you think about that, and, and maybe why you decide to, de to uh, dedicate a few episodes to it? Well... So from a production standpoint, one of the reasons that I've decided to dedicate a whole month to it uh, is because I've realized over the last couple of years that one of the ways my podcast performs best is to have me monologuing about a certain topic for a certain period of time and then moving on to something 
that is the next topic. And, it, and this is kind of an experiment this year of nice. structuring things on a monthly basis. So that's part of it. The other part of it is that I have learned over the last year and a half, maybe even two years, that oikiosis is really, in a way I didn't understand just a year ago, is really the central theme of Stoicism, or, or it's at least one of the roots of the tree of Stoicism, if such a thing could exist. But before we talk too much about oikiosis and what will inevitably bring up the circles of concern, I should mention two people. One of those people uh, is Dr. William Stevens, who's recently written a book uh, that is a fresh translation of Epictetus's Enchiridion, and he talks about it at great length. Well, let's just say that the book is is worth worth checking out and reading. And the second person is Kai Whiting, who, with I should give him his proper dues, Doctor Kai Whiting and Doctor Leonidas Constantikos, Greg Sadler, uh, Christopher. What is Christopher's last name? <laughs> I'm gonna forget it, but Christopher, mm-hmm. someone's last name, I forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gil? Uh, Christopher Gill. There we go. Thank you. I'm so bad at lists. You know, you have these names in your head, and then you have to say them, and you instantly forget. I'm, I'm terrible at dinner parties. Probably why I'm never invited to them. Uh, <laughs> these people, uh, in particular, have worked on expanding Hierocles's circles of concern. Um, we'll talk a little bit about him as well to add a an additional circle that has to do with non-human animals in the biosphere. And I mention those people not just because of that and because it's going to come up, but I am not an academic and those people that I mentioned are. Uh, and so if if any of your listeners really want to dive deep on this, these are some people that you should uh, absolutely be looking to for that information because they're going to understand it on a level that is not really my role, so to speak. Um, but with that said, I'm going to ask you to re-ask your question because I, I, <laughs> I lost my train of thought there a bit. No problem at all. Um, and the question is, and, and generally how we how we start most of these conversations, really just defining terms. You know, what is or how should we think about oikiosis? So oikiosis is a, a term that is originally, as I understand it, a Stoic term. It's a coinage of of the word that has never existed in any other philosophy, nor prior to Hierocles in, I want to say, the second century AD. Uh, who uses it to understand what is appropriate for us to be concerned with. My interpretation of the word concerned is different than the word care. Uh, and you've heard this if you've listened to recent episodes, but the idea of caring for something, especially in the West, means that you care about it. And there's no distinction between being concerned with something and caring for something. Those two words would mean the same thing to most people. If you're concerned, you care. If you care, you're concerned. Uh, but in Stoicism, at least the way I interpret it, and in my own opinion, when you care for something, that just means you care about it. I care that this thing over here in this other country is happening, and it's very sad, and I, you know, I feel it in my heart that this is not good. This feels bad. I care. And then there's concerning yourself with something which is acting on that care and actually getting involved. We can care about almost anything. We can concern ourselves with only a very few things in our lifetime because concern takes up time. We only have so much time. And so there's a limitation to how much we can do, how much we can concern ourselves with. And oikiosis is the process of knowing what is appropriate for you to, the word is, um, the word is appropriate. And I should turn you here to also to another podcaster whose name is Chris Fisher, 
uh, who has a podcast called uh, Stoicism on Fire. And while I don't think the podcast is in production anymore, there are many, many episodes and all worth a listen. Sounds like I'm trying to send people to everything but my own podcast in this discussion, <laughs> but, but hey, people are smarter than I am. Uh, it's the idea of what is appropriate for you to appropriate. And this is shown by Hierocles in, in a diagram called the Circles of Concern, which, to paraphrase, starts with the self at the center, and then the next concentric ring is family, and then friends, and then community, and then humanity, or what might better be phrased at the time as the cosmopolis, the world city because the Stoics were cosmo uh, cosmopolitans. And so it's a way of understanding that. And, and the idea is that you have certain roles as defined by, well, now we're going to have to talk about roles and this is going to suddenly become much deeper. So let me stop here and let you reset any questions because I've just said a lot. So, so maybe I should hand it back to you. No, I, I love it. That's a, um, a great introduction and it, it's kind of um it it seems like we we have to get deep in the in the weeds and <laughs> stuff like that when it, when it comes to um a topic like like this um but i i want to maybe bring in like ideas in the in the modern language and and have you talk a little bit about you know if there is a connection and things like that so um, in modern times, you we think of like connection, belonging, um, you know, love. There's um, a concept that, uh, or you know, a, a phrase I think that comes up sometimes in the, with the Stoics is like being at home in the world. Um, how do those connect? Uh, do, does it connect with some of those modern modern terms? This idea or lead to to that? I think so, yeah. Well, the thing with Sto well, really any ancient philosophy, <clears throat> any philosophy for that matter, is that the text of any philosophy, and in particular Stoicism, since that's what we're talking about, there are words that are used in the context of the philosophy that are not used to mean the same things in common parlance. So a good example of that would be the word good, which you, I, I will say for the sake of your listeners, just in case they don't know, in Stoicism, when you say something is good, you mean that it is virtuous. It's the only thing that good can mean. And so in Stoicism, virtue is the only good um, because it's, well, for a few reasons, but because it's really the only thing that's yours to obtain. Your choices, your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, those are all within your control. And virtue is defined as the knowledge of how to live excellently. Um, so the knowledge of how to live excellently is the only good because it is the only thing that can be good all the time. And if something isn't good all the time, then it's conditionally good and not actually good, which is something that causes a lot of um, consternation when people who don't understand Stoicism very well try to explain it, because the Stoics would have said something like, slavery is not good or bad because the only the only good is virtue and the only bad is the opposite of virtue which is ignorance or vice and what people hear when what people hear when someone says that is oh so the stoics don't think slavery is bad which is 
then you get into the nitty gritty of what words mean within the philosophy, because they certainly don't mean that the Stoics were actually, um, as much as one could be at the time, believed that slavery was unjust. Uh, but that gets abused, breezed over a lot. So yeah. it, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Well, let me ask a, um, a specific question. So when it comes to oikiosis, you think about, uh, as you mentioned, these circles of concern, which we'll put a link in the show notes so people can can uh, get get a visual on on that as well. Um, someone might think that it's something to just be adopted, maybe by faith, or this is something I need to maybe believe in. Could you could you talk a little bit about like some of the philosophical arguments? for this idea of oikiosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's rooted in the in the belief that the fullest human expression is to live according to nature. So I think we have to zoom out pretty far to we have to we have to talk about things that might be too deep for me to be the one talking about but but I'm going to try my best. <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm Let's blaming you for this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Stoics believe in the idea that the idea of, we'll we'll start with the idea of the great conflagration or the global fire that there's this cyclical recurring process of all of everything being born in an explosion or an expansion you could think of it maybe as a breath and then everything is destroyed again by a great cosmic fire and that this just happens over and over again we're in the middle of one right now if you were to ask the ancient stoics I think the ancient Stoics also at some point said they happen every thousand years, <laughs> which <laughs> obviously isn't true. Um, but they believed in that. And they believed that the universe itself was an animal. And by that, I don't mean that they thought it was like a panda bear or a cosmic <laughs> eagle or something. Yeah. I mean that the way that a panda is an animal and the way that a monkey is an animal and the way that a giraffe is an animal, the universe itself is an animal. And everything in the universe is, uh, you can think of it as the follicles of the animal, as the organs of the animal, as the neurons and such of the animal. And all the things which comprise this animal, and I hope I'm doing a good job of this, all the things that comprise this animal are structured in a way that allow the animal to sustain itself. Because to the ancients, the universe seemed pretty stable. If you talk to modern scientists and you know, physicists and such, they'd say, oh, it's full of instability. But it does seem as though it's stable enough that it can exist. If it wasn't stable, we wouldn't be here, right? We wouldn't exist. If that's the case, then there's a sort of logic that's built into the universe that's a natural ingredient of everything that exists. And if that's true, then that logic must permeate every object, be it organic, like a plant, or non-organic, like a rock, or a human being, or a giraffe, or a monkey, or any of those other things. It is the full expression of the logic of the universe for a thing to completely embody its nature. So, a planet, for example, adheres to its nature flawlessly. It has no choice but to do that. It's a planet. What does it do? It orbits. It rotates. It's perfectly in alignment 
with the nature of the universe by being logical, by filling its role. And so it, the Stoics would have actually said that planets ra- rose to almost a godlike status because God is synonymous with that logic, is synonymous with perfect rational nature. So the universe in Stoicism is God. That's what the Stoics mean when they talk about God and Stoicism. They didn't believe in Zeus or any of that stuff. Uh, so a human being, or let's not say a human being, let's say an animal, like a bumblebee, a bumblebee very clearly has a role and it fills it without making a choice. It just does the thing. The na- nature benefits from it, nature small n as opposed to nature big N God, right? So I'll say God from now on, stoic God. It it just does these things. Planets rotate, it can't do anything but rotate and do, does the thing a planet does without thinking about it. Bumblebees, similar. Um, dogs, similar. Ants, similar. It doesn't seem as though any of those animals need to make the conscious decision to live according to their nature, thus be rational, thus be in complete alignment with God. Human beings, on the other hand, (laughs) uh, we seem (laughs) to not do the thing that's good for the hive uh, naturally. We seem to do things that are counter to the hive naturally. But the Stoics, I believe, would argue that you're really pressing the limits of my knowledge here, Joshua. Well done. Uh, I think <laughs> the I think that the ancient Stoics would argue that the part of the rationale of the universe, the logic, the logos that lives within us, exists because it exists with every, in everything. It exists in every animal, every plant, every non-animal, non-plant, and human beings. Because it's there, all humans are capable of being rational. All humans are capable of being godlike and in stoicism that would be reaching the state of sagehood but human beings because they have this consciousness they are not able to simply be this thing they have to choose to do these things they have to choose to live according to their nature that is to live according to reason and to be in alignment with nature and thus in alignment with god they have to consciously choose so stoicism is thought of by a lot of people as being uh, a philosophy of like indifference, which is we could talk about that word and how it's misunderstood, but I don't want to lose my train of thought. When really it's a philosophy of choice, it is rooted in the need to examine the world around you in a way that is true, objectively true, and then make the contextually appropriate choice. The the Stoic circles of concern are a tool to is a is a tool are a tool uh, for helping us to figure out what that choice ought to be, uh, and the pr- knowing that choice is somehow wound up in the definition of oikiosis, knowing what's appropriate to appropriate and to know what's ours to be concerned with and such. It's a very intellectual. I it borders on spirituality, I think, because of this the kind of the wooey stuff that I said at the outset. But it is a very logical philosophy, and it is a very logical view of God and existence and all those things. Uh, and I'll let, and I'll turn it back to you now because I think maybe there's more questions. <laughs> yeah, no, I I love it, Tanner. I, man, I've got um 
so many questions, so many things come up around that. Um, but I, I do want to, um, while I'm thinking of it here, really applaud you as a communicator and as the, uh, you know, the word practical in your podcast. Um, you mentioned uh, lots of academics, you know, and, and specialists and, and things like that, which many of them have, have been on this podcast and definitely, um, you know, have a role and are, you know, a, a beautiful gift and should be utilized. But also, like what, what you bring to it, you know, this practical, like everyday life, like I, I really have an appreciation for, I've been listening to you for the last six months or so. Um, and just to highlight, like the book that you mentioned uh, early on by Sharon LaBelle, The Art of Living, also someone who's not an academic and was able to put together this adapted interpretation that is uh, just beautiful. I highly recommend that that book is, as well. Um, so just, I, I love it. And I love, um, your ability to be able to explain that in understandable ways for us, uh, us everyday, everyday folks. Um, but I, so in a way, I cannot tell question, you how much I appreciate that you just said that. So thank you very much. Oh, oh, it's my, my pleasure. And, um, to connect to this I idea. So there's like these two poles, the self you know, and, and other. And when you get into some of this stuff, it's like, um, you know, you talked about the, the planets, you know, this perfectly rational thing, us, not so much. Um, but like growing into this, you know, and I think like as, as we, we grow and I, I think I've read somewhere where it's like, when you're young, you know, there's a, a natural focus on the self, self-preservation and things like that. And oikiosis, like adopting this, is something like we grow into. Could you talk a little bit about that tension of the self and others? And if there's anything that comes to mind around, you know, growing to be able to hold both of those? Sure. Uh, it's funny that you asked that be and because I just had the exact conversation with Dr. William Stevens just a few episodes ago, where he nice. talked about oikiosis being this kind of like two, two theory theory or two argument theory, where when you're young and before you're rational, I, I'm going to sidebar here a little bit, and that's dangerous because I'll probably lose my train of thought, but we're going <laughs> to no, see how it okay. goes. Um, I read something it seems like a decade ago now. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Sam Harris. I was reading a lot of him back then. The idea that a a baby doesn't really know it exists until it's like two or or some wild age that you're like, really? It takes them that long to figure out that they're a thing. But the Stoics have a similar view that a mind is not capable of being rational until, you know, they seem to say something like 13, 14, 15, so you're a teenager somewhere in there, and that a child shouldn't be taught philosophy beforehand because it's it's kind of bordering on a sort of, they did not use the term brainwashing, but, but it, it's kind of, I think we all get an uncomfortable feeling when we see um, people at, you know, church camps screaming in tongues to get the demons out of them, and they're like eight, and we're like, how could you do that to these kids? I think we all have a natural aversion to 
taking advantage of the lack of that uh, fully formed cognition, if we could put it that way. Yeah. And so the Stoics thought about thought about this a lot. They didn't use any of the words I just used, but there's the idea that when you are not rational, you or when you don't yet have the full cognitive ability to be rational, and I think I'm right about this, you kind of naturally grab for those things that will sustain you. And it's obvious to you that those things are yours to be concerned with, your mother's milk, food, things that the things that all animals seem to understand they require. And then we have this thing that happens that allows us to expand. But animals don't seem to have this, right? There are some animals that seem to have an elevated form of consciousness, but the number of neurons in a human, which I think the Stoics would not have said this, but <laughs> I think has something to do with this special kind of consciousness and awareness we have. But whales, dogs, pigs, uh, other mammals, elephants too, I think, have. Uh, more neurons than a bee, for example, or a fish. And so they maybe there's some gray area here, but the idea is that a human gets to a point where it can say, ah, it is right for me to can be concerned with a way to sustain myself. I need to eat and be healthy and I need to survive and thrive. But I also have the ability to be concerned with other things because why shouldn't my mother be loved? Why shouldn't my father be loved? Why shouldn't I care about the quality of life for my neighbor? the quality of life for all my neighbors, in fact, and my friends. And, and why shouldn't I care about the health of my nation? And why shouldn't I care about the health of all nations? And why shouldn't I care about the health of the world? And that is something that the Stoic, I think a lot of people think that Stoicism is antithetical to like, for example, I cannot tell you how many people I'll talk to about being concerned with the environment. And they'll say that that's not Stoic. The Stoics wouldn't care about the environment. And I'm like, oh, man, we really need to get some better Stoicism communicators out here because it, it, living in accordance with nature would have to, for a human being, include caring about oneself, include caring about one's family, one's friends, community, all people. And the thing that allows us to thrive, which is the, the earth that we live on. Um, and so Stoicism in its truest I want to be careful with that word and it's truest, but in a orthodox-esque interpretation would absolutely encourage people not to mistreat the earth, right? And I think this is, or to mistreat each other or themselves or their family uh, or their community, right? So it's, it's this philosophy of great care, focused concern, careful consideration and decisions and coming to those conclusions about what to be concerned with. And involvement. In fact, the, the biggest difference between cynicism, capital C, and stoicism, capital S, is the degree to which a person uh, is involved in the whole. Cynics agree also that virtue is the only good, but they think that they don't think that you need to be, at least this is my interpretation of cynicism, and I, sh I hope I'm not speaking out of school here, but they don't think that the way that you come to embody your nature is through service. Uh, instead, they think it's, I think it's solely through knowledge. So the Stoics, as opposed to the Cynics, both of them agree that virtue is the only good, but the Stoics are like, okay, yeah, but in order to live according to our nature and to, uh, to move towards being virtuous and having that knowledge, that knowledge would be expressed through supportive family, supportive self, supportive friends, supportive uh, community, et cetera, et cetera. So the cynics don't really act. They think a lot and they're quite smart. 
and uh, I'm not trying to speak down of traditional cynicism or Diogenes, the greatest smartass who ever lived, um, but it, it is not a practical human, everyday living philosophy, in my estimation. Uh, and there you have it. Whatever my yeah. estimation is worth. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, I, I made a note of a quote from from Seneca that I, I want to read for the for the listeners here. Um, Seneca writes, "Let us hold things in common, as we are born for the common good. Our companionship is just like an arch, which would collapse without the stones' mutual support to hold it up." And like, I'm curious to bring in um, humility here, because I think. Most people hearing that, you read that, there's not much disagreement. But we tend to think that, and this is my, my estimation, my own self, self-observation of, of narcissism and things like that, that it's like, yes, I get that. I, I, I do that um, where like, maybe we don't. You know, it's like Marcus Aurelius, you know, meditate often, or you might think like meditate daily on this interconnected thing, you know, seeing this mutual interdependence, like continually reminding yourself, suggesting that we forget or that, you know, we become maybe a bit arrogant and, you know, think we, we have a better grasp than we do. So long question, but I'm just curious your thoughts in terms of the role of, of humility in, uh, you know, adopting this in daily life. I don't know if the Stoics spoke of humility, but I certainly understand what you're getting at. There seems to be a gap between identifying logically and intellectually, you might say in an academic fashion, that, that this is true, that we all must work together in order for the greater good to be sustained, or if the earth is going to continue to thrive, or my community is going to continue to be healthy, or my family is going to stay together, there's a certain amount of give and take that has to happen. We have to care. I think everybody agrees with that. But then somehow, when <laughs> when we try to apply those things, very human things get in the way. Egos, lack of humility, politics, political sides are a big one in present day and probably always have been for that matter. Uh, religions, uh, different spiritual thoughts, different philosophies for, for that matter get in the way of it's not, it seems to be that everyone agrees it needs to happen, but everyone disagrees on, or a lot of people disagree <laughs> on how it needs to happen. Uh, and I don't know that I have a great answer for you in how Stoicism would tell you to do that other than there's this great meditation by Marcus that I want to say is in book three or four, and it says something like, and of course, this is such a great boon to Stoicism, so of course I like this. Uh, he <laughs> says something like, if you find anything greater than living logically and, and, and wisdom and virtue, if you find anything greater, then go ahead, by all means, you should, cha you should chase that. That's the thing. And then he turns back on himself and he says, but what could be better than that, you dummy? <laughs> right? It couldn't be anything. So I think that maybe part of embodying this idea that we all agree with, at least intellectually, is understanding that the how we get there is probably not as important as the believing we should get there. And 
the ability to understand, of course, as an external indifferent, something we can't control, something that we cannot decide, knowing that other people can and have a responsibility to serve their own communities and their own families in the way that they deem is best and that we don't really have a right to tell them whether or not that's best. I mean, objectively, we have some, right? Right. If somebody tries to start a second Holocaust, we're going to have something to say about it. We're not going to say, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Live and let live, right? Um, but but when people say, well, the only way that this community can be healthy is uh, if we're secular. Uh, well, it can only be healthy if we're religious. Or it can, but really, at the core of it, at least maybe I'm naive for thinking this, but at the core of it, I think that everybody is trying to make their their communities healthy. They might have different ideas of what that looks like or how that happens. And when it comes to what it looks like, I think that is probably where people get hung up the most because the idea of what a healthy community looks like in, let's say, a traditional Islamic culture will look different than it, than it, than the same idea would look like in a traditional Christian culture or a traditional Buddhist culture. And then you have, you have, it's not a it's not a differing of ideas it's a differing of beliefs and beliefs are beliefs are very they can be very dangerous things they can be very powerful causes for good as well so i think while the stoics were cosmopolitan I want to be careful about how I say this because I don't want to make it seem I'm saying something I'm not saying but while the students were students while the stoics were cosmopolitan i think they understood that the cosmopolis was factually a whole, but made up of many different parts that all tended to themselves and could do that for the greater good of the cosmopolis. I might be wrong about that. But when the Stoics say that there's a global city, I don't think they're saying the same thing that we might mean today when we talk about a globalist society where there's one religion and there's one government and there's one way of doing things. I don't think that's what they meant. I think they meant it's all humanity. We have to take care of each other. But, you know, the town over here has the latitude to choose how to da-da-da. And it's up to their citizens to da-da-da, you know, whatever that is. Um, which is. Which is also at the heart of Stoicism, the idea that the only things that we can, part of having wisdom, part of being a sage, I am not. Um, but as I understand it, part of being a sage is knowing what is not just knowing what is yours to concern yourself with but knowing in fact what you have any control over so there's this idea of indifference and a lot of people hear the word indifference and they think of it as ending in ence indifference when the stoics talk about indifference they're actually pluralizing mostly the word indifferent so there are multiple indifferent things so ents and an indifferent is anything that doesn't have the ability to impact our own achievement of virtue, achievement of the knowledge of how to live excellently. So when they say that the way someone else acts is an indifference or, or is an indifferent, they're not saying you shouldn't care about that thing. They're saying that that thing does not get in the way of the only good. And there's this. I really hate to call it like a um, libertarian philosophy because that has implications that the ancient Stoics and most Stoics today would, would have a problem with. But there is this very, it's not an individualistic philosophy, but there is a belief 
within the philosophy as I understand it, a tacit belief. It's not expressed in, in any of the texts, but I think there's the idea that you can only do the things that you can do, and you can't make other people do the things you think they should do. They have to do the things they think are right to do, and you have to let them do that uh, in so much as you're able. And wouldn't it be nice if everyone could do the thing they were supposed to do? But everybody has to do that thing differently because everybody's situation and context is different. So being stoic, if everyone in the world were stoic, everyone's practiced stoicism would look different because everyone's situations are different. Uh, and Zeno wrote a, a piece of work. We have Plato's Republic. Zeno also wrote a Republic. It was the idea of what the perfect sage-filled <laughs> stoic world would look like or city would look like. And to some extent, all these, all philosophies, Stoicism, Cynicism, Kantianism, anything, it does, they do seem to hope that everyone would come to the same conclusion, right? And I think Stoicism does that as well to some extent. Um, but maybe I've gotten a little bit off track here. However, I think that built into Stoicism is, look, you've got to do You've got to do the thing that you know to be right and in service to yourself, your family, your community, the world, everybody. You have to do that. It's all you can do. You can't make anyone else do it. So why don't you do that? And then I, I do communication in stoicism because I want to try to help as many people as possible realize that they have to do that. Mm. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the nuanced uh, approach. And, and I think... Um, you know, respect and wisdom for, for some of these ideas. The last um, topic, we already kind of touched on it, but I just want to highlight it again before we wrap up is, uh, and it's a bit of a preference that that I have or a wish that there was maybe a bit more of a focus on the and, like as we talked about the two poles of self and other or like whole and part you know and we like we do these things and it seems like the the pendulum like wants to swing from one end like to the to the other you know it's very difficult to create some like harmony you know be between the two to hold both I mean, you might think of marcus aurelius a, a quote i bring up far too often the fruit of this life is a good character and acts for the common good like the and holds so so much you know there's well so, i think me, i i just I, I i think i get what you're saying and i disagree with marcus there yeah, because i don't think there please. is an and so you how so at, 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 so marcus says a good character and works to the common good but works to the common good is to know what's appropriate for you to appropriate. And so to have a good character is to do those things. No one could yeah. have a good character and not care about the common good. So that's really one thing. And you use the idea of a pendulum, which, which, is, which is a great visual. However, it does this thing, not just because a pendulum swings left and right. And I think that politically, we're just going to think about left and right now because we're imagining yeah. this pendulum. Yeah. I would think of it more like breathing in and out, as in both of those things are a process of a body as opposed to a mechanic of 
a cold, indifferent calcul a, 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 a clock, you know, like a, a machine. And so the breathing in and breathing out is necessary for the sustaining of the human body, just like a focus to on the self and a focus on the other is is how you sustain and build a virtuous character or a character of any worth whatsoever. So it's not and, it's not or, it's all happening at the same time. And there is no separation. Separation is not even possible. It's built in. But I think as human beings, we do have, um, we do have this tendency to think muriologically that there is a whole and a part, but they're really the the behavior of the whole benefits from the actions of the part and the actions of the part are always part of the sustaining of the whole and to, and to think muriologically i think and to make a separation instead of seeing the unity works against what you're doing because then it seems like you have to balance two separate things like oh today i did self care and i took a bath <laughs> right. But tomorrow, because I took care of myself today, tomorrow I have to focus on going to the soup kitchen. But when you go to the soup kitchen, you take care of yourself. And when you take a bath, you take care of the community because you're putting yourself in a position to be able to go to the soup kitchen. Right. Like it's, it's not either or and if it, it's all, it's all the same. I hope I've not, over, I hope I've not been seemed too aggressive there. <laughs> I feel very mad oh, about no. your clock analogy. Sorry. No, not, <laughs> no, not, not at all. I, absolutely beautiful and i i think that is my my point of it is the one you know in terms of like eastern philosophy yin and yang it's like all of this stuff and same thing like we're we see these things as separate but it one light dark happiness suffering all all of these things like one giving birth to to the other the the pendulum thing is like how we it, it seems like in terms of not of uh like highest good or a good thing but how we tend to um like in our minds like get stuck over over here but but let me ask though in uh um in and please say i i love the discussion so please say or you know cor correct any anything that's that's unclear or that you disagree with there um but in a way, it's like we all get to choose that, right? Like when you think of the the divide between the Epicureans and the Stoics, like the Epicureans, they just had a different view. You know, they're making like different choices in the way of they may not like place this emphasis on like works for the for the common good. Like we're gonna go kind of retreat into this. Um, garden outside of the of the city type of stuff um so i'm, I'm curious yeah i threw out a, a little bit there well but what comes so up? you do everyone has the right to choose <clears throat> how they approach living their life this is unarguable of course they do yeah but not every choice has the ability to be or has the right to be the correct or a good choice, a proper choice. Certainly, there are plenty of philosophies that might lead you to do terrible things. And you have the yeah. right, in a weird way, you have the ability to choose to do terrible things. But 
those terrible things are just because they're your choice doesn't make them the right way. And so there's a certain amount of having to buy into the idea that the right way to live a life is to develop a good character. That's one thing you'd have to agree with to study uh, Stoicism, for example. But you'd also have to agree that to develop a good character meant to gain the knowledge of how to live excellently. You'd have to agree that that was important. And then you'd have to agree on what living excellently meant in every context. So everybody gets to choose what they, how they want to live. But I think everyone should be very careful in examining the, uh, the, the, mo- the highest or the most paramount part of that choice. So if I choose to live according to philosophy X, in a perfect world, if I carried out philosophy X in, in, in perfection, what do I become? And is that really what I want? And, and be very, very thoughtful and considerate in making that choice, because it doesn't have to be stoicism. Of course, it doesn't have to be, and it won't be for a lot of people. But always take whatever personal philosophy you're going to adopt to, to its nth degree and see what it makes you if you practice it perfectly. And if it still yeah. holds up, then by all means, I, I think that you will have made a correct enough choice for you, and you have the right to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. It's so interesting of um, also maybe what you were talking about in the beginning of the conversation of like, where do you fit in? You know, it's like, where do you best serve this, uh, this whole, you know, you think of um, like Socrates and Alcibiades or something, one of these stories where it's like, no, like getting into politics and government, not, not a good fit. Um, for you, maybe some other, you know, it's like we all have to also like kind of find our, uh, you know, that, our, that it's, uh, it's yeah, great you're bringing that up because we didn't really, I don't, th- I don't feel like you really talked about that and we don't have that much time left, but I think that it's, it's good to yeah. mention that, that w- when I talked earlier about knowing contextually, what's the proper choice for the individual, one has to be aware of their own strengths and weaknesses. One has to yeah. know where. It is not appropriate for me, for example, an overweight 40-something-year-old man to go and become a soldier. Like That doesn't seem like that is the most appropriate use of my skill sets, right? It might be better if I were a teacher and vice versa. If somebody is... You know, if somebody were a really good soldier in great shape and they were specially fit for, for, I don't know, missions or something, it would seem kind of like they weren't they weren't choosing to elect certain roles that maybe they were best suited for. This is very hard and very personal to figure out. Um, if, what if you're a teacher and there, and a war breaks out tomorrow? What is, what are you supposed to do? What's appropriate for you to do in that situation? You're a teacher. You're supposed to abandon that and go enlist. Well, how useful are you going to be? And stoicism isn't a utilitarian philosophy, but in in some regard, a human being is going to ask themselves that, and they're going to use that to sort out their choices. We're all going to be slightly utilitarian to some extent, no matter what. We're we're not sages. We're imperfect humans trying to practice a philosophy that's 2,300 years old, right? So, I mean, if we're stoics. So, yeah, it's it's messy. uh, and. 
I wish it were easier. I wish I had a better answer. I think you just have to, <laughs> you know, people complain about the state of their government, for example. But of all the people I hear complain about the state of their government, I, I hear practically no one saying that they're going to start getting, you know, they're going to run for something. And and the reason that individuals, usually, at least in America, that's that's the country I'm from, so that's the all I can speak to, is, well, it seems hopeless to try anyway. What a dangerous place to be, that you're so unhappy with the state of your leadership and the reason you decide not to run or not to get involved isn't because you think you're not adept. It's because you think there's no point anyway. Ooh, that's depressing. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I don't want to get more political than that, but gosh, what a depressing situation. I want to come back to the, to the and thing just for like one clarification and, and some, mm -hmm. some of your thoughts is like how we come to see some of these things as one in the way of, you know, it, well, it's not actually, and it's, it's one thing. Um, and I'm thinking of, um, previous guests that came on, probably been on your, your show at some point, I would imagine Nancy Sherman wrote the book Stoic Wisdom hmm. and talks about, you know, stoicism, philosophy of self-reliance and interconnectedness. Like it, it's both these things. Um, you know, is, is an and a, a problem? Like how, obviously it's like one, you know, these things, but, you know, is there something that, um, you know, comes th that we should use other than the word and, and then how do we come to see some of these things as one? That's a good question. That's if a that's tough a question. Fair question. Oh, it's a tough one. I don't know that I can answer it. I can say that when I hear the word and, what I think of are lists. I think I have to do this and then this and then this. And I don't think that that is the most useful way to think about taking care of ourselves, our family. Our, I have to take care of myself and then I have to take care of my family. And then I, it makes it seem like there's an order to operations as such. To, to, yeah. I could see that to behave to behaving well, uh, and maybe that's just maybe we're humans, and it's a limitation of our language and our brains. Maybe that's just the way we have to talk about doing things. But if, and maybe the problem is with the question. Maybe the question isn't how do I become a good person? Give me a list. Maybe the question is something more like what does a good person look like, and, and am I do I reflect that? And while a, a good person doesn't do anything in particular, but a good person makes time in their life to be concerned with things other than themselves, it's not a list of things to do, but it suggests you weave something into your day, daily doings and goings-on that would do a similar thing. It, it would prioritize something other than just you. So I don't know if that's a great answer. You're putting me on the spot. You're making me look like a fool. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, not at so, all. No, not at all. <laughs> so I'm not sure. But, not at all. But but I think <laughs> it's it, it could be it could be a limit of our language. Maybe we have to use the word "and." But I would be cautious to think of to think of it as a to do list. This and then this and then this and then this and then I'm a virtuous person. 
because it, it it isn't that way. Not just because you could do this, 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 and this, and then you could go murder somebody <laughs> and you've thrown it all out the window, right? So it can't be a list. It's like a whole embodiment. And I think that that's a very uh, ephemeral maybe way to talk about it. So it's a not it's a non-intellectual thing and we're trying to cram it into the box of understanding it intellectually and i think that's where that's why we get stuck with these metaphors about clock pendulums and and this or this i think it's maybe as i said before an unavoidable function of our language but maybe if we identify it as an unavoidable function of our language we can change how we think about it when we think about it if that makes sense yeah yeah no i i appreciate that that tanner and I, I could definitely see that, especially like ground level thinking about it, but like view from above sometimes, I don't know, maybe that's a different um, perspective. No, that's of- a, that is a thing in Stoicism, the, the cosmic viewpoint. Uh, I think that that, I think that in the self-help world today, that's usually used as a way of kind of disembodying yourself from stress or pressure so that you can, it's not really what that viewpoint was used for, I think, in ancient Stoicism, or we should say traditional yeah. Stoicism. I think today we think of it as, oh my God, this happened. Okay, well, zoom out a little bit. <laughs> and you're like a speck on another speck floating in infinite nothingness, right? So is this really as big a deal as you're making it seem? And then zoom back in and maybe with that adjusted mindset, you can more easily get through a stressful or difficult time in your life. Whereas in ancient stoicism i think that was more it may have had that it may have had that uh desired impact as well but i think that would have been shared with hey zoom out your actions aren't just affecting you your actions choices decisions thoughts etc also impact this friggin thing you live on <laughs> they couldn't have zoomed yeah. out too far back right then right they didn't have the hubble they didn't know but um, but but I think that that is the primary purpose that it served. Is it's not you are one ant in an ant hill, one bee in a beehive. Zoom out. There's a whole colony. There's a whole hive. You've got some work to do. It's not just you. Yeah, beautiful. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and we've made it to uh, this wrap up question that we ask most guests that come on. How do you define or think about wisdom in daily life, Tanner? God, what a terrible question to ask me this week of all weeks where I feel like I'm the most unwise dummy on earth. Um, I think I define it as there are a couple of people who are going to hate that I'm saying this. I, I think of, I think of wisdom as, as a, as a knowledge of how to apply things you've learned appropriately. That's how I think of it personally, right? I'm a stoic, but I still, and I still think of virtue as the wisdom of the knowledge of how to live excellently. But I think of wisdom as this kind of applied, habituated knowledge. So I have the behavior that I should participate in my community because that's a boon to my community. And that's part of living in accordance to my own nature as a human being who has part of the cosmic uh, uh, logos within me cosmic reason within me. And I know that, but in order to habituate it so that it's not a choice so much as it's a reflex or a habit, habituate, I I have to habituate it. And then it becomes a part of who I am. And I think wisdom is when you've done that to the greatest degree that it can be done. So I, I guess in a way, it's habituated behavior, but it's also sagehood. So I don't know if that's useful, but there you go. That's my answer. 
No, it definitely is. Well, I appreciate it. This has been great. Again, your podcast is Practical Stoicism. I highly recommend it. As I said earlier, I've been listening to uh, a number of episodes here recently and have been for the last six months or so. So I appreciate what you're doing. Um, are there any you know books or websites that you might point our listeners to before we wrap up? Uh, I appreciate you doing that. Myself and Kai Whiting are co-authoring a book called What is Stoicism, which should be published this fall. It's quite some time from now, but you know, put it on your list. <laughs> uh, nice. And it's, it'll be published by New World Library, which is very cool for me because I have been a fan for a long time of Joseph Campbell. And it's the same publisher that puts out Joseph Campbell's work now. And has for quite some time. So that was, I'm more excited about that than I am about publishing <laughs> my first book or co-authoring my first book. Um, so, so check that out, but more, uh, more available now or available in the next week or so is the actual stoicism app, which is written by Kai Whiting, performed by me and developed uh, by a, a young gentleman named Rudy Bonfini, who I love saying his name because it's just so Italian, <laughs> Rudy Bonfini, who was a listener of my show and approached me back in November of 2022 and said, "Hey, I want to make a podcast. I want to make a um, an app for the show." And that's not what this app is. But for the last year, this kit more than a year, I think almost 15 months, this kit has built this app, and we're launching it in February. It's called Actual Stoicism. You go to actualstoicism.com to sign up for alerts because we're launching in the next week or two or maybe three. And what it is, is you get a quote every morning, and then you get an interpretation of that text, be it from Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus or Seneca or, you know, at all. Uh, it's written by Kai Whiting, so an actual academic who understands it on that level. And then that interpretation is read by me because I'm more uh, he's the writer, I'm the speaker, right? It's, <laughs> podcaster has a good voice, I guess that's that's the way it goes. Uh, and then after the after the meditation or the reflection, you're provided with some practical advice on how you might implement what you learned that day uh, in the day going forward. And those prompts are delivered or those thoughts are delivered every weekday. And then we give you the weekend off. Nice, nice. That's exciting. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes to to everything mentioned so it's easy to find and uh, good stuff. Tanner Campbell, thank you so much for coming on In Search Wisdom. Thank you for having me, Joshua. I've had a great time. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If so, I encourage you to put what you heard into practice. If you're interested in more podcasts, meditations, and courses on the art of living, consider checking out our daily newsletter, Perennial Meditations on Substack. Until next time, be wise and be well.